You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. In 1987, President Ronald Reagan stood before a symbol of division, a literal wall between East Berlin and West Berlin, East Germany, West Germany, and really the East and the West. That was in the midst of the Cold War. And in a bid for freedom for the East, Ronald Reagan said, his famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. He was there at the Brandenburg Gate when he made that statement and subsequent events led to the dismantling of that physical wall that held so much symbolism. Well, this morning we're going to talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done to dismantle some walls so that we can know God and so that we can have real, genuine relationships with others. I want to show you that in Ephesians chapter 2. After A little bit of a break. We are jumping back into the book of Ephesians. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And when you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, which I will remind you is truth with no mixture of error. This is the word of the living God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross there by killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, for through Christ, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We praise you. We exalt you, we worship you. You are worthy of our worship and praise. And we come to you in this moment because we need you. And Lord, I ask that you would, by the Holy Spirit, move in our midst. That we would, as we study your word, understand it and be compelled to respond to it. Have your way in our midst. God, I pray for transformed lives. I pray that we would leave different than when we walked in today. Again, we love you. We thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. And we lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It's been a while since we've been in Ephesians together, so I want to remind you of the overarching theme of this book. The theme is that we experience God's grace in Christ, and I'll add, only in Christ. And that grace saves us, look at this next phrase, unites us with other believers. This morning we're going to begin to talk about being united with other believers. And God's grace strengthens our Christian walk. Now we've been working through the first chapter, the second chapter. We've learned that the first three chapters speak of our wealth in Christ, all that is ours, as believers in Jesus, all that God lavishes upon us, all that God pours out upon us when we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And we studied the beginning of chapter 2 last week, in the middle of chapter, or last time we were together in Ephesians, the middle of chapter 2, and we're rejoicing in the grace that saves, and the grace that transforms, and the grace that gives us purpose. And in this next section... Paul wants to talk about that grace, that saving grace that brings us near to God. But he also wants us to understand how the grace of God brings us near to others. How the cross brings us into a place of peace with God and gives us peace with others. And so, if you look there in your notes, I have a two-point sermon. I know you're supposed to have three, but I've only got two. But I'll just go and tell you, there's lots of sub-points, so don't get... You know, don't get too cocky. You know, we'll, 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 we have a little bit of sermon to go through this morning, all right? We may not get done real early. But a, but a two-point sermon on why Jesus died on the cross. There are at least two reasons that are elucidated in this text. First of all, Jesus died to bring us near to God. Jesus died to bring us near to God. We've been talking about that quite a bit. We've talked about being reconciled to God, being forgiven by God, being justified by God, being adopted by God. The the, the grace that happens in our individual lives when we are saved. We come into a relationship with God. But to make this point, Paul wants the, the hearers of this letter to go back to their life before they met Christ. In fact, he says there in verse 11, remember, remember. And he wants them to remember their life without Christ so that they will more greatly appreciate their life in Christ. And he says some interesting things there in verse 
11, he says, Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Now, just a quick definition of the word Gentile. We find it often throughout this passage. A Gentile, in this thinking in the first century, a Gentile is a person who is not a Jew. And in the mindset of the first century, there were two groups of people in this area of the world. Jews and Gentiles. Everyone fell into one of those two categories. They were either a Jew or they were not a Jew and they were called a Gentile. If we apply those categories to this room today, there may be some here that that are uh, ethnically Jews. Uh, Probably not many, but there may be some here that have an ethnic connection with the Jewish people. Uh, But most of us in this room are Gentiles. We are not ethnic Jews. And that's the two groups of people that are being mentioned here. And he says, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So here's Paul's point. There was a a visible outward identifier for the Jewish people. Uh, God commanded that the males be circumcised as a mark of their covenant uh, with God, the, the, the covenant that God entered into with Abraham. So the obedient Jews were circumcised. Gentiles did not practice this. So he says there was this, this, this outward difference between you and the Jews. The uncircumcision you were called by those who were circumcised. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now the word Christ there is the Greek word Christos, the The Old Testament equivalent is the word Mashiach, which is where we get the word Messiah from. So probably what Paul is saying here is this. Because you were not uh, ethnically Jews, were not uh, following the the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you weren't looking for a Christ. You weren't looking for a Mashiach. You weren't looking for a Messiah. The, The Jewish people were fervently looking, fervently hoping that God would send his Messiah to save his people. And he's saying, as a Gentile, you didn't have that same anticipation. You didn't have that same hope. And he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't a part of God's chosen people. You weren't a part of that nation. You were strangers to the covenants of promise that God entered into with Abraham and and with the Jewish forebears. And look what he says. Having no hope and without God in the world. Bottom line is this. Because you weren't looking for the Messiah, you didn't know anything about the Messiah. You didn't know anything about Jesus. So you were living your life without hope and without God in the world. And this this description really describes everyone who does not know the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Everyone without Christ is without true hope. I mean, think about it. If you don't have your eternity nailed down, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know that after death you're going to heaven, what are you hoping for? Are you hoping that this life is just going to get better? Because it's not. We live in a fallen world. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but but life is hard, right? And if our hope is only in this world, enjoying this world, we, we, we would be miserable. But we have a hope beyond this world, right? Because of Christ. But someone who does not have their eternal, uh, eternity secured cannot have that hope. Why? Because they're separated from God. He says there in verse 12, he says, Without hope, without God. Without God, you cannot have true hope. But you see, that's why Jesus came to this earth. He came to die 
to bring you into relationship with God so you could have hope. He died on the cross. He shed his blood so he could bring us into this relationship with God. Look what it says in verse 13. But now, you were far from God without hope, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, and the nearness here is to God, been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, as sinners against a holy God, there is a wall of impurity between us and a perfect God. And that wall separates us from God. But Jesus came and went to the cross and took all of our sin, all of our impurity upon himself, and shed his blood so that when you invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, his shed blood is applied to your life and his blood washes away your sins. You are forgiven, so there is no longer a barrier of impurity between you and God. Now you can draw near to God. Now you can know God. Now you can have a relationship with God, right? It's good news. And so he's reminding them, there was a time you didn't know what it was like to know God. You didn't know what it was like to be near to God. But now because Christ has come and shed his blood, you have this relationship with God. And look what it says down in verse 17. He, he wants to further uh, verbalize what it means to know God. He says, He, Jesus, came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. In other words... He preached to the Gentiles who didn't know anything about the Messiah. He preached to the Jews who were looking for a Messiah and needed to know that he was the Messiah. But he was preaching peace. If you believe in me, Jesus was saying, you will have eternal life, a relationship with God, peace. So he came and preached peace. And then he went and purchased our peace by dying on the cross. And it says in verse 18, for through him, don't miss this, through Christ, through Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access, relationship in one spirit to the Father. And so th these verses speak of Jesus dying on the cross, listen, to tear down the wall that separates us from God. Aren't you glad that wall's been torn down by the blood of Jesus? Aren't you glad you can have a personal relationship with God. Aren't you glad that in Christ God is your friend and God is your father? Aren't you glad that because of Christ the presence of God is a daily reality in your life? Aren't you glad that even when you die your relationship with God is not severed, it is secure for all of eternity? Jesus did that when he died on the cross. But there's another wall that Paul deals with here in this text. Not only the wall between us and God that Jesus abolished by his blood, there's a wall between Jew and Gentile. A wall that separates people. And that's what Paul spends a good amount of time discussing in this text. Jesus died. Here's the second point. Jesus died not only to save us as individuals, but Jesus died to build a beautifully diverse kingdom of worshipers. That's what God's up to. Building a beautifully diverse kingdom of worshipers. Look what it says in verse 14. Paul writes, He himself is our peace who made us, that's Jew and Gentile, he made us both what? 
one. He made us one. And so Paul is saying that Jesus died on the cross to break down the wall between people. There are so many things that divide people. And he broke down that wall when he died on the cross to bring people together. To bring people into oneness. To bring people into the church that he presents to the Lord. You see, and if you don't understand what I'm about to say, you're going to miss a lot of the New Testament. Jesus' death was not merely about us as individuals. Now, it was about us as individuals because when I was saved at nine years of age, as an individual, I was given the hope and promise of eternal life. My sins were forgiven. I was individually saved. And individuals have to make a decision to follow Christ. But know that there's something bigger going on than just what He's done in your life individually. God is... Building a kingdom. And it is breathtaking in its scope. And it is beautiful. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. Now again in verse 11 and 12 he mentions the distinction. He points out circumcision. The distinction between Jews and Gentiles. These two different ethnicities. And he reminds the Gentiles... That because they did not have the physical mark of circumcision to set them apart as the people of God, the Jews had come to consider them as inferior and in fact no concern to God. So a Jew would look at a Gentile and say, they're not circumcised, they haven't taken that seriously. They don't matter, they don't matter to God. They're not part of this thing where they can claim the one true God as their God. And they made that pronouncement based upon an outward symbol. Which leads me to this question. Listen carefully. Could somebody be so shallow as to despise someone else based upon something external? Let me ask the question again. Could somebody be so shallow... As to despise someone else based upon something external. The answer is, of course. It's everywhere around us. There is great division in our society. And many times that division is based upon externals. Things like skin color or socioeconomic status or whatever the case may be. Externals. And and there are divisions between people that Christ came to take away so he can make Very different people, one body, and build something beautiful. You know why we have divisions today based upon external differences? The same reason there were differences and divisions back in the first century, sin. If you look at the story of the Bible, you see Adam and Eve created by God, the first man and first woman. They live in perfect harmony with God and perfect harmony with each other until they disobey God. And sin enters the world and everything goes haywire. Shortly thereafter, a brother kills a brother. Why? Sin. Sin disrupts human relationships. And sin builds divisions among people. And sin brings hatred towards others who aren't like us. And you need to understand 
that in the first century there was great division between the Jews and Gentiles. I almost can't explain how great the division was, how great the hatred was. If you want an example of a dislike for a different people group, you can see it in the book of Jonah. God spoke to Jonah, go to Nineveh, the Assyrians, the hated Assyrians, the enemy of the people of God, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah says, is Nineveh that way? I'm going to go that way. And he runs from God and he's swallowed by a big fish and God gets his attention. He says again, go to Nineveh. So begrudgingly, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches and the people of Nineveh repent. There's a great revival that happens in the city of Nineveh. And Jonah gets mad about it. I knew if I preached, you would forgive them, God. You're just so merciful. And He was angry that people that he hated were experiencing the mercy of God. That exemplified the many of the Jews' attitudes towards the Gentiles. Some Jews believe that God created the Gentiles to use as fuel for the fires of hell. Do you know that? True story, first century. Some Jewish women would refuse to help a non-Jewish woman give birth because to do so would make them responsible for bringing another despised Gentile into the world. In some families, if a young Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, their families would have a funeral service symbolizing the death of their child as part of the family. But, understand the hatred went both ways. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. For example, the Gentile Greeks were so proud of their culture and supposed superiority that they considered everyone else who was not a Greek to be a barbarian. The Roman statesman Cicero wrote, As the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. They hated anyone who was not Greek. So there was hatred between Jews and Gentiles. And there's an interesting word that Paul uses here to make his point. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, He himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall. Now what is the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Well, first of all, you need to understand there was a literal wall of division in the first century. At Herod's temple, there was a large court surrounding the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. And there was a wall about five feet high, a stone wall, that separated the Court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple complex where Jews could gather and worship. And that wall was intended to keep Gentiles away from the temple, from making the temple unclean, because they considered the Gentile people unclean because they didn't practice the the purity regulations of the ceremonial law. And on on this wall, there were signs in different languages that said, if you go past this wall as a Gentile, you will suffer the punishment of death. In fact, archaeologists have found some of those signs that promised death to any Gentile that crossed that wall. Paul himself 
had an issue that dealt with that wall. Over in the book of Acts, the Bible says he came into Jerusalem. And one of his traveling companions was a man named Trophimus. And guess where Trophimus was from? Ephesus. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And word began to spread through the city wrongly. It was a false accusation. But word began to spread that Paul took Trophimus past the wall. He took him into the the temple complex meant only for the Jews. And so word spread. And guess what? The Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill Paul for that. I don't know exactly what happened, but between that incident and the writing of Ephesians, maybe Trophimus made his way back to Ephesus. He was sitting down with the church and said, Hey, guys, I'm going to tell you about this wall. There's a wall about five feet high, and if you cross it, they will kill you. So maybe when Paul mentions this wall, this dividing wall of hostility, Trophimus is like, That's what it is. I told you, there's a wall. But that wall, that physical, literal wall, symbolized a great division between Jews and Gentiles. What was the division? The division was the ceremonial law. That's what brought about this division between Jew and Gentile. Because look what he says back in verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 14. It says, He himself is our peace who made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he break down the wall? Look what it says. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The wall... The division between Jew and Gentile had something to do with this this ceremonial law that the Jews carried out. He says this this law expressed through ordinances. You see, the law, the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, the feasts, the festivals, all of that had become very divisive. The Jews would say, we keep the law, you don't, we hate you. Basically, is that what it looked like? And the Gentiles would be like, we don't care about your law. We hate you too. And, and, and these commandments that the Jews worked so hard to keep, the sacrificial system given to them in the, the first five books of the Bible, that the, the, the keeping of the law became a basis for them to despise other people. But here's the deal. The law given by God was never meant to be that exclusive. So what was the purpose of the ceremonial law? The law was meant to demonstrate the holiness of God's people so that surrounding nations could see what a nation that followed God looked like. They would keep God's commandments and show their distinction from the surrounding nations so the surrounding nations could say, that's what it looks like to worship the one true God. It was a way for them to let their light shine through obedience. The law was symbolic It pointed to what Jesus Christ was going to do when he came to the earth. The law was meant to show them their need for a Savior because no one could keep the law perfectly. But over time, instead of observing the law and saying, Oh, this is pointing me to a Savior. This is pointing me to the Messiah. They got proud over their observance of the law. And... They developed a self-righteous, exclusive mindset, an us-and-them mentality. But again, the law was never meant to be exclusive. Let me read you this passage from Numbers 15, 14, and 16. Listen to what it says. 
If a stranger, talking to Israel, if a stranger, a a non-Jew, a Gentile, if a stranger is sojourning with you, if he's living among you, or if anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. Let him practice the law the way that you are. For the assembly there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and Listen, you and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. In other words, if someone shows up from another nation and they say, we believe in your God and we want to worship him too. He says, make arrangements for them to offer offerings. The law was never meant to be that exclusive. But the Jews said, oh, we're doing so good keeping the law. They became very proud and self-righteous and despised people who were not. Instead of inviting Gentiles to come and worship the one true God, they despised the Gentiles that did not care about the law. So what did Jesus come and do? Jesus came to down the cross to break down the wall of impurity between individuals and God, but he also came to take down the wall of the ceremonial law so there was no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile and they could now come together. Now how did he do that at the cross? Look what it says in verse 14. He made us both one, is broken down in his, in his flesh, that speaks of the cross. He died, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing, watch this, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus came to abolish the ceremonial law. Because think about it, the entire sacrificial system, the entire ceremonial law was meant to point to Jesus. Meant to point to the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Savior. So when Jesus came and died on the cross, shedding his blood for the sins of humanity, there's no longer any need for the symbols. The the real thing has come, right? In other words, there's no need of the lesser symbolic sacrifices because the ultimate sacrifice has occurred. Now that Christ has come, there's no need for the type or shadow, the feast, the offerings, the sacrifices, the clean, unclean distinctions. No need for the ceremonial law. Jesus has come. Believe in him. So if Jesus abolished the need for the ceremonial law, then there's no longer a reason for Jews to hold it up as a distinction between them and Gentiles. In other words, because of Christ, because of the cross, because he died on the cross for our sins... If you want to relate to the one true God, you don't have to go through the sacrificial system to do that. That's why there were no lambs sacrificed this morning at the beginning of the service. Why? The lamb has died. The lamb without spot and without blemish, the spotless lamb of God has died, shedding his blood to provide forgiveness for the sins of the world. So if you want to know the one true God and relate to the one true God, you don't approach him through the sacrificial system. You approach him through his son, Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Now watch this. 
if Jews and Gentiles are both saved through Jesus and only through Jesus, well, now they can be one. There's no longer this law that divides people. It's it's not there anymore. Now it's just Jesus. And, And if you believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus, now you can be one. You can be one body, one kingdom. The wall has been broken down. It says he abolished the law of commandments. He took that wall of impurity or that wall of ceremonial uh, law down. He took it down when he died on the cross for our sins. Which leads me to three quick statements of application and we'll be through. The fact that Jesus saves all kinds of people is amazing. Isn't it amazing here that that Jesus loves his people, the Jews. And make no mistake about it, the Jews are the chosen people of God. He chose them way back in Genesis 12, starting with Abraham, to create a brand new nation through whom he can make himself known to all the nations. They were to be a kingdom of priests to make the Lord known. But they were his chosen people. And he says about the Jews, and I believe this holds to today's time, If anyone blesses you as a people, I'll bless you. If anyone curses you as a people, I'll curse you. Someone should be very, very slow to curse the people of God, even in today's time. They are God's chosen people. A special role in redemptive history. And Jesus Christ came through the Jews. His mother, Mary, was a Jew. He came through the Jews to provide salvation for the Jews. Jesus loves the Jewish people. And in today's time, if someone who is an ethnic Jew wants to have a relationship with the one true God, they come to God just like every other person by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you have a saving relationship with God. But aren't you glad that Jesus also loves Gentiles? Because again... If we take these first century distinctions and apply it to this room, most of us are Gentiles. Aren't you glad Jesus died on the cross not just for the Jewish people, his chosen people. He died for the sins of the world. Aren't you glad? That means you and I can be saved. We can have a relationship with God. The fact that God saves people from all different types of backgrounds is just amazing. He's doing something beautiful. And here's what that means. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what that means. That means that, that, that we can go anywhere in the world, anywhere, and look any person in the eye and say to them on biblical authority, God loves you. Salvation is available to you. Jesus died for you. We can go to any person that speaks any language, has any skin color, any background. We can go to them and say, God loves you. And, and by the way, by the way, I think this is part of the application of this text. If you have hatred and animus in your life towards another person, for whatever reason, just remember you are pouring out hatred on someone that Jesus poured out his blood for. You're hating someone that is loved by 
God. And that's serious business. And here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. I believe there's someone that deals with prejudice and hatred towards another group of people for whatever reason. If they get saved, God's going to deal with that issue in their life. And bring them to a place of conviction until they get right with God. You say, oh, Pastor Wade, those, those divisions, that kind of prejudice, that's, that's, that's way back in the past. I pastored in the Memphis area, North Mississippi. There was a church in our state convention that would not baptize a young African-American boy that got saved. They said, not in our baptistry, go somewhere down the road to another church. We're talking about a little boy that Jesus shed his blood for. And to say you can't worship at our church because of your skin color, listen, that is an abomination before God. It's as sinful as sinful can be. And if you struggle with those issues, that that hatred towards another group of people for whatever reason, maybe somebody with a skin color, maybe somebody doesn't speak your language, or whatever the case may be, if you struggle with that, you need to let God have His way in your life. And experience His cleansing and His power and His grace to begin to love all people the way Jesus loves us. It's amazing that, that God saves all kinds of people. Let me give you a second statement very quickly. The fact that God brings all kinds of people together into one family is amazing. The fact that God brings all kinds of people together into one family is amazing. Anyone that knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior is a part of the kingdom of God. They are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Regardless of background, ethnicity, language, tribe, tongue, whatever, if they know Jesus, they're in the same kingdom you are in, the same church, capital C, the the universal church. They're in the same church you are in. They belong to the same God, have the same blessings and benefits. They are part of the family of God through Christ. And that is amazing because it is beautiful. It is beautiful. People try to deal with with human division in all sorts of different ways. But with our sinful hearts, all those efforts just, just are basically null and void. They don't seem to work. I read a story about a, a bishop in Australia, and he was a school bus driver. And on the school bus, he had white children and aboriginal children, the indigenous people there in Australia. And he said he would, he would be on the bus, and someone inevitably would say, white's on this side of the bus, black's on this side of the bus. And they would divide up by white children and aboriginal children. And, and, and one day the bishop just got fed up with it. And he stopped the bus. And he said to the white kids, when you're on my bus, you're not white, you're green. So what are you? They said, we're green. He walked over to the aboriginal kids. He said, when you're on my bus, you're not black, you are green. What are you? He said, we're green. He started driving again, thinking, I solved that. Everybody on this bus is green. After a few minutes, he heard a kid say in the back, Dark green on one side, light green on the other side. Listen, 
our human efforts to bring people together just fall short, don't they? They fall short. But listen, Jesus made a way. What the bishop on that bus could not do, Jesus did. The bishop understood it's impossible to create a lasting oneness with such different divided people. But that's what Christ did when he died on the cross and took the the ceremonial law away so people could come to him and be saved together. One kingdom, one body, one church. In other words, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I'm, I'm just telling you this, as I've traveled around the world, I've met people from very, very different backgrounds. And when you meet someone from a different background that knows Jesus, it's instant family. It's crazy. Like, I've never met this person, but I love them and they love me. I remember I went on a trip to southern Uganda. And there's a, a pastor there, Pastor George, that we were working with. And I'd heard about Pastor George, but I'd, I'd never met Pastor George. And um, we showed up and... And he gave me a big hug. And there's a one, he was a preacher. I was a preacher. We, just, we were just you know, doing ministry and, and uh, loving, serving Jesus and, and just a oneness there. And after we, we hugged and met each other, we began to walk up to his house for dinner that night. And as is the culture in that area, he just grabbed my hand. We're just holding hands. Very uncomfortable, right? Like this guy's holding my hand. And uh, we're just walking up, just holding hands, you know, swing, uh, going to eat dinner. That was the culture there, and I got over it, but it's just amazing that in just a few moments of meeting someone like Pastor George, this is my brother. We worship the same Jesus. We know the same God. This is my brother. God does that. Jesus did that when he died on the cross and took away every excuse for humanity to be divided. The fact that God brings all kinds of people together into one family is amazing. Third and last, the fact that this one family transcends human divisions is amazing. This one family transcends human divisions. Again, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ transcends all the other things that create division in our culture. So now in Christ you're all one. That's the point that he's making. I love how John Stott says it. He says, not that the facts of human differentiation are removed. We're still different. God made us different. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when we see the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible says the gates are open in that new city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and it says the nations are coming and going through the gates. I believe in heaven, the ethnic distinctions will be celebrated. We'll look a lot different in heaven. So by the way, If you struggle with someone different sitting by you on the pew, you're going to hate heaven. I mean, you are. Because I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of different types of folks in heaven. Amen? So Stott writes, Not that the facts of human differentiation are removed. Men remain men and women women. Jews remain Jews and Gentiles Gentiles. Listen, 
Oh, this is good. But inequality before God is abolished. There is new unity in Christ. That is the good news. So what did Jesus accomplish at the cross? Well, he took down the wall of impurity between you and a holy God so you could have a relationship with God. And Jesus died on the cross to build a beautifully diverse kingdom of worshipers. There's nothing like it. Only the blood of Jesus can take people from radically different backgrounds and make them one people. Jesus did that at the cross. And we should rejoice in that reality. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.